Hey everybody, this is Brad Williams and I am the pastor of B4 Church. Welcome to our podcast. My prayer is that this would help you behold God, that you would see him for who he is, that you would belong to community, that you would be everything that you were created to be, and that you would be able to dream beyond the limitations in your life. So I hope you enjoy this teaching and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Hey everyone, welcome to the B4 Podcast. My name is Alex. And I'm Ashley. And together we're hosting a series of conversations right now called Grace in the Tension. Yeah, we're really excited this week because we have AJ Swoboda, who some of you may recognize that name. He has spoken here before in the past. It's been a while since we've seen him, but he's yeah. a good friend of the church. Yeah, AJ was uh, actually a part of our teaching team here mm-hmm. for about a decade. Why he was also pastoring a church called Theophilus in Southeast Portland. Um, so he has had a, a really important role in the life of the church over the last decade. Yeah, and he's now a college professor, and a lot of his ministry has been with college students and young adults. So he recently released a book called After Doubt, and it felt like it fit really well with the series of conversations that we've been having. So we invited him to be a part of a conversation with us. Yeah, so we recorded for about an hour straight. And so um, this is going to be part one of two-part conversation with AJ, and we're excited for you to tune in. All right, so AJ, it's been a while since you've been here at B4. Um, what you been up to, man? How's your family? What are you doing these days? Wow, what have I been up to? Well, um, yeah, so I think the last time I was uh, at uh, at the mothership, as it were, at B4, <laughs> uh, I think it was two and a half years ago, which what which represented two two years, two and a half years ago, which represented a very sensitive moment. In, in my life, my wife and I, Quinn, had sensed our season of leading uh, the church in Portland come to a close. Uh, it had become very clear to Quinn and I that the uh, our associate pastor, Cameron Marvin, was the, an- the anointed reverend of the future. Um, and uh, we, we knew that uh, our time had come to a close. Um, and so we, we moved to Eugene. Uh, my wife, Quinn, is from Eugene. Uh, I spent 10 years in Eugene as a college pastor. I love, absolutely love Eugene and was invited to uh, consider uh, being a full-time uh, professor to teach Bible and theology. And um, I, I was hired to teach Bible and theology at Bushnell University, which is where I am right now in the midst of grading papers and finals. And um, I teach Bible and theology and I love Jesus more than I ever have. And I'm so grateful that I get to see you, my old friends again. Yeah. So good, man. So good. Yeah. And you just had a new book come out, which was one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the podcast. Um, and for me, I someday would love to write a book, but not there yet. But just curious as an author, how do you decide what to write about? And specifically for this one, what was your motivation for writing this particular book? Mm. You know, there's, there's uh, having, uh, writing a book and having babies are fairly similar uh, adventures, <laughs> although I'm, I'm a man and I don't know if I have permission to, to equate the two at all, but um, you know, some, some babies you try to have and some you don't try to have and you just have them. Um, th- this one was one that I, I knew it was a, it was an intentional book. It wasn't, it was a very, I was trying and the, this book, After Doubt, uh, the subtitle is How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It, essentially is the culmination of about 22 years of working and serving college age-ish people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, for 10 years as a college pastor at U of O, 10 years uh, at Theophilus in Portland, and the last two years as a college 
as a university professor. Um, I have sat in the front row uh, for 22 years and watched people uh, try to follow Jesus in a world that's that's hard to follow Jesus in. And I, I felt like I had come to a point where I had some things to say about that. There's a generation of people that are dealing with doubt, this experience called deconstruction. And I think Jesus uh, has a way to walk through it faithfully. And so I wanted to put that on paper before I died. <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't happen anytime soon. Um, you talked about deconstruction. Can you kind of define that for us for people that aren't familiar with that particular term? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, immediate, by the way, the minute anybody uh, writes a book, um, about 10 minutes after sending send and you, you put it in, you all of a sudden have a list of things that you wish you did differently. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I wish I did differently with this book was actually had a whole chapter on just defining terms like doubt and deconstruction because these are hefty. These are hefty sure. terms that um, don't mean the same things to different people. Okay. So when we talk about deconstruction, doubt and deconstruction are these two, these two, they're inner, they're interconnected, they're adjacent, but they're not the same thing. Doubt is an experience many, if not all of us have at some point in our pursuit of Jesus, where we struggle to believe something um, about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, we struggle to believe something that is true. In many cases, doubt happens to us. Deconstruction uh, is a bit more proactive. And deconstruction, as I see it, is whenever we dismantle yeah. um, certain beliefs that we used to hold. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the, the question immediately posed at that point is, well, is deconstruction bad? Mm-hmm. And um, no, that there's good and bad deconstruction or healthy and unhealthy deconstruction. So let me give you an example of both. Um, when I have a student who's sitting in my office, I'm in my office here, and when I have students come in for office hours, it is a very common experience that I'll have a student come in and say, Dr. Swoboda, I was raised in the church, and uh, I love God with all my heart, but I got to be honest, some things I was handed by my church um, aren't in the Bible, and they're not true, and they're not Jesus, and I love God with all my heart. I want to do away with anything that's not true. Yeah. And that that right there is good deconstruction. When somebody mm-hmm. says, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart and any lie that I've ever believed, I want to do away with. Mm-hmm. That to deconstruct lies is called, yeah, we have, that's yeah, that's it's called repentance. In yeah. fact, the word repentance, metanoia means to change your mind. Mm-hmm. But there is as well a dark side to deconstruction. And sometimes sure. we deconstruct because we really want to follow Jesus with all of our hearts. Yeah. But sometimes we deconstruct because in reality, we just want to be able to sleep with who we want to sleep with yeah. and smoke yeah. what we want to smoke. And yeah. honestly, we're just really tired of having somebody tell us how we're supposed to live our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that form of deconstruction is the form that says, God, I'm tired of you being my Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to do my own thing now. And I'm, I'm, I'm done. So I'm going to do my thing now. Now we... We, by the way, from page two in the Bible, have that story of eating yeah, yeah. the of good and evil. Sure. Doesn't um, end well. That's the story of humanity, isn't it? It's the story of deconstructing what God called good to do what we wanted to do. But, but not all deconstruction is bad. And I think that's yeah. very important because some of us were handed really, really sick ideas of Jesus that are just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I want to ask more questions about that. I, I've been, since I've read your book, I've been thinking a lot about the idea 
of deconstruction as something we participate in, but also as something that actively sometimes happens for other people, whether they want to or not. But before we get there, I'm curious if you you shared about your journey from a leadership perspective through deconstruction, what you've seen. But what about you personally through your own journey of deconstruction? What does that look like for you? And doubt. Yeah, that I, yeah, yeah. That's a great. That's a great question. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to lead a church. I mean, this is the dark side of of leadership. I guess we don't talk a whole lot about. It, it turns out that you can't be a leader and not have your own struggles, your own faith struggles. I mean, for me, I, I, for me, that I think that the, the the moment where I woke up to the dark side of deconstruction was actually when I went to seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that happens. What's that? Ironic, right? Yeah, it's not, no, I'm, I'm not. Be, I mean, I'm not be, 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 beleaguering or looking down yeah. at seminary experiences. They're very important and good. Uh, but for me, um, I something happened in seminary where I began to sort of get full of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you start learning Greek and Hebrew words and you start understanding the nuances of. <laughs> how the Old Testament was made and really interesting uh, stuff about the Bible, you can go to your head. And I remember there actually was a really important moment where I led a Bible study. I, I write about this in the book where I led a Bible study and I uh, on, on the Old Testament. And I remember the first session, I did this whole thing on whether Moses wrote the Old Testament, uh, the book of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And is that a legitimate question? Sure, it's a great question. But I remember walking away from that Bible study and having the Holy Spirit convict me that I wasn't asking questions because I wanted people to learn and follow Jesus. I was asking questions because really I just wanted to look smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and really what happened was I, I really wanted to look like I knew what I was talking about. There's a, there was an old French philosopher, Michel Foucault, who said that knowledge is power. He talked about this idea that knowledge is power. And um, people, a lot of Christians get down to Foucault for saying that, kind of this idea that we utilize knowledge for power. But I, I will say that for me, when I began to wake up, that I was using knowledge not to serve God's people, but to gain power, authority, and celebrity, wow. that woke me up to the dark side of, of deconstruction. That really, I wasn't interested in serving people. I was interested in being retweeted. And that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty dangerous posture to have. Yeah, especially for someone like you who is very retweetable, yes. by the way. You have some of the best, one of my favorite lines in your book. I have so many, but when you said history often retweets itself, I was like, AJ, <laughs> that was so good. What about your relationship to doubt personally? Talk about deconstruction a little bit, but I'd love to know. Yeah, that. well, the you know, the um, by the way, my friend, uh, Dr. Nijay Gupta, who's a, a premier New Testament scholar and myself actually have a podcast that we do just about doubt. Uh, it's, it's called In Faith and Doubt, and it's about how to walk through doubt faithfully with Jesus. And both of us are convinced that the New Testament strongly distinguishes between what you and I would call unbelief and this other experience of struggling to believe. Um, doubt may be a word that you could use there, but it, these, these were... You cannot read the Psalms 
and tell me that the authors behind these texts did not experience profound bouts of uncertainty about who God is. You, you, you can't read Ecclesiastes and tell me the author has all the answers. Mm-hmm. You can't even read Jesus's words on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And convince me that Jesus even really knew what to do at that moment. Mm-hmm. That is an experience that every follower of Jesus will have where we do not know how to handle what we're walking through in a, God, how do I believe in you in light of this suffering? God, how do I love you in the midst of these questions that swirl underneath my mind? How, God, do I love you in the midst of such tragic injustice in the world? How do I do that? That is a normal and important part of being a follower of Jesus. I love C.S. Lewis on the Psalms. He, he says, you know, when you look at the, the psalmists, they, they sound like neurotic people. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he has this line where he says, even if the Psalms were written by neurotics, that would not make them any less true. Mm-hmm. The idea that something is hard and difficult and a challenge doesn't make it not true. That is different than somebody who's saying, you know, I'm, I'm done with Jesus, the Bible, resurrection, the gospel, church because they don't make sense to me. I just don't like them anymore. They don't fulfill what I want. That is unbelief. That's the way of Judas. Right. What's, beautiful, what's beautiful about the gospels is that we have the story of Peter and Judas. Both have the same story. Both Peter and Judas turn their back on Jesus. The difference between the two is one of them was willing to come back. Mm-hmm. I, here's the thing. We're going to walk through doubts. We're going to walk through struggles. The question is, are we willing to continue to come back? Or do we give up? And the Judas way, it's an easy way out, but it's the way of death. The Peter way is hard because forgiveness is difficult to receive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, um, from your perspective, what, you know, you're talking about this phenomenon that people are experiencing and there's often no room for doubt in the church today. Um, the reason why you're saying that it isn't equated to unbelief is because that is an experience that people have. What can the church do today to create space and room for this from your perspective? Yeah. Well, um, thank God for the Bible. We, we have a book about this. <laughs> <laughs> many books and many chapters. Yeah. And yeah. One in particular, um, the, 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 the nuances of, of John's, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, his the, the way he describes the resurrection appearances is the, I think the 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 gem, it's really the gemstone of John's literature. I mean, he you you can tell his crafting of the resurrection stories of Jesus. You know, as a writer, you spend a lot of time on fewer things. He spent a lot of time on that section because it is clear he is trying to make a point because he tells, so he tells this story about a guy named Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. That's not in the Bible, but we call him, we, Thomas is his name, called Didymus. And, you know, Jesus shows up to the 10 disciples. Um, Judas has died. Jesus shows up to the 10 and, and, and shows his resurrection body to the 10. 
Thomas wasn't in the room. And as a result, he didn't get to see the resurrected Jesus. So Thomas somehow comes back to the room. Jesus is gone. And the disciples say, we got to see him. We saw the resurrected body. And there's the way John, I'm say it again, the way John describes this, there isn't a word wasted. He said, he makes a comment in John 20. He says that Jesus waits an entire week before showing up to, to Thomas. And I love that. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't see somebody who's struggling with doubt and drop everything he's doing. He's like, oh my gosh, I got to fix this. There's somebody who's struggling with doubt. He waits a whole week to show up. And when he does, he shows him his resurrected scars, his scars, his body. Here's what I love about that story. I love, first of all, that Thomas for a whole week kept showing up to the faithful disciples. Mm -hmm. He kept coming back. He didn't, he didn't know how to handle it. You know, he's struggling to believe and he still shows up. I mean, there's people listening to this, yeah. struggling to believe. Pull a Thomas, keep showing up. Yeah. Don't, don't drop off. But I think more importantly is not only does Thomas keep showing up, but the faithful disciples make room for Thomas. Mm -hmm. That's good. And as a result of making room for Thomas, I mean, they could have said to him, you know, man, you're struggling to believe we should, we should get you into an alpha group, some sort of, <laughs> you know, we should get you into a, a celebrate recovery group because you're really struggling to come around. Um, they don't, they make room, they make room in their community for the guy who's struggling. And the fact that they do that, I mean, the, the story, the history of Thomas plays itself out. He goes, history tells us, he goes to India. He becomes the first missionary to India. If you've ever met an Indian Christian with the last name Thomas, there's a reason. Because Doubting Thomas went off to be a missionary in India and there are 2,000 years of witnessing Christian community in India because a doubter was believed in and sent. Here's what we need to do. We need to stop seeing doubters as promises. There are future missionaries. And, and we need to make room in our midst for them because when you don't, thank God that Thomas wasn't a part of a church that didn't make room for doubters. No pun intended here. They're like, that's you, incredibly you couldn't massive. handle this. You can't believe you're gone. Yeah. No, they made yeah. room for him. And look, look what happened. A whole nation got reached because of it. That's yeah. right. I'm just curious, um, kind of going off of that, what do you think or how have you seen that done well practically within churches today? And how can we try to be those people? It doesn't happen from the front. I, well, when, when I say the front, so, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, the I pastored a church for 10 years and <laughs> I, the hardest people, uh, to pastor are people that are going through deconstruction. And I'll tell you why. They want to meet too much for coffee. <laughs> they have too many questions. And, and, and it's impossible for me to be a superhero for everybody. I learned that the answer to this question is not the, it's not the, the person up front. They can't do it all. This is a pew level um, work. This has got to be the laity, the people in the church who raise up and decide, I'm going to find one person who's struggling with their faith and I'm going to chase them the way the father does in the prodigal son story. I'm going to go after them and I'm not going to stop until they know they're loved. I, I, I do, I, I'm not, I've, I've been a pastor. This is not an opportunity to say pastors need to do more. We actually need pastors to do less. We need Christians to do more. Wow. Wow. 
you had a line in your book that we treat pastors like appliances. <laughs> when they're burnt out and they don't work anymore, we just install a new one. And- yeah, all, our metaphor, I have a section on going to church, which is actually the section um, I anticipated would be the one that would get me in most hot water. It didn't actually, it hasn't played out that way. But because going to church for people who have been wounded by the church is a very hard thing to talk about. Um, but our metaphors are all just wonky. I mean, we say stuff like that all the time. We're going to install a pastor. We're going to plug into the church. I mean, we, we talk about people like they're iPhones, <laughs> or washers and dryers. Um, Paul, the Bible never uses these, these metaphors regarding the church. I think Paul's metaphor is the best. He talks about the church like a mystery. He's, he uses the Greek word mysterion, that the church is the mystery of God. I think the I think the church is like the the closet in the Chronicles of Narnia. Like your job is just to enter. That's your whole job is just go in. It's a mystery in there, uh, and it's a scary world. You know, there's witches in there and stuff. But you gotta <laughs> fawns, eternal winter. That's amazing. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to part one of this conversation with AJ. We hope it was incredibly helpful for you as it was for us. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Um, We had a great time with him. Hey, uh, just FYI, I know we announced the men's event was June 8th, a few weeks ago in the podcast. If you're listening, update, we have moved the men's event to June 16th, same time in the evening. Um, If you have any questions or if you want to register for that, you can go to our website. Yes, you can check out our website for the event registration for that, as well as all of our other upcoming events. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Make sure that you don't miss our next episode next week, the second one with AJ. If you want to ensure that you don't miss it, you can make sure that you're subscribed to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube. We hope to see you guys next week. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to visit b4church.org for more information. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can even take a screenshot and share it on social media if you like. Tag us at B4Church. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.